There is a series of commercials on TV and on social media. You've probably seen them. They're from uh, Progressive Insurance, and they feature a character that they've named Dr. Rick. And Dr. Rick claims to be an expert in helping people not turn into their parents. He actually, uh, they, they went to the effort to write a book um, and it's called Unbecoming Your Parents. My favorite part is at the top, you probably can't read it there, but it says, a lot of copies printed. Instead of like millions of copies sold, there were a lot of copies printed. And the book has tongue-in-cheek chapters like things that don't need to be announced, this is not your thermostat, and how to take a selfie. And in, in one particular installment of this commercial uh, in this series, uh, Dr. Rick takes a group of people that he's coaching to a home improvement store where he's trying to help them to understand things that they shouldn't do or say in public places. And he does things like tell them not to talk on speakerphone in public or give unsolicited advice about products to the person standing next to them or help direct people how to back out of their parking spots when they haven't asked for their help. And there's this clip where Dr. Rick is standing with two of the men that he's coaching, and a young man who's got his hair dyed bright blue walks by them. And both of these guys that are standing with Dr. Rick look like they're about to explode. They just can't help themselves. And Dr. Rick is gently admonishing them, we all see it. We all see it, but the guys can't help themselves. And finally, one of them blurts out, he has blue hair. And the other guy replies, blue. And they remind me a bit of my grandma, one of my grandmas, when there was someone who had done something that was outside the social norms. Maybe they were wearing something gaudy or attention grabbing, or, or maybe even they had dyed their hair a bright color. She would sometimes say something like, well, that's different. And she didn't mean that as a compliment. She wasn't like complimenting their originality and how unique they were. She meant it as a criticism of them. And today we're going to continue our series in the fundamental truths, the central beliefs that we as, as Christians and at this church we hold and we practice. And last week we learned about and we sought together the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I emphasized how baptism in the Holy Spirit is different from salvation. It's not the same work that the Spirit does at salvation. It's a distinct work that the Spirit does to, in the lives of believers to empower them for witness. And there's a corollary or a, a doctrine that goes along with baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that is speaking in tongues. Now, this is where a lot of people check out. You might be able to agree that the Holy Spirit's work in you isn't done at salvation, that he wants to do more in your life, that, that he wants to continue to work, that maybe even you could agree that he wants to empower you in your life, to be a witness for service in his kingdom. But speaking in tongues, I mean, come on. That's a little different, isn't it? When then it comes to speaking in tongues, you might be like those guys who were with Dr. Rick and you're kind of looking at people out of the corner of your eyes, just uh, unable to, to control how strange you feel this phenomena is. Or maybe like my grandma, you say something like, well, that's different. And if you're there, if that's what you think, I, I can understand that. Many people try to ignore 
the, the doctrine of, of initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues because they think it's strange. It's a little too far out there for them. They don't understand it. It seems confusing. It seems a little bit unnecessary. Some people become dead set against it. But for many, they just want to ignore the topic. They want to avoid it. Kind of like people who, you know, if they approach you and they want to talk to you about the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or Flat Earth, you might go, uh-huh, and then walk away, right? And we can feel that way. Some people I know feel very much the same way about something like speaking in tongues. They, they just don't want to even bother with it or talk about it because they find it all too strange. They want to avoid association with that. And maybe you've felt that way as well. But when we look at the New Testament, there are too many references to speaking in tongues for us to just write it off as something that we should never think about or that we can just ignore altogether. In fact, sometimes people become so dead set against this and they claim that the reason they're dead set against the idea of speaking in tongues is because they're so committed to scripture, sola scriptura, we're gonna go with the scripture alone. And I guess my challenge to them would simply be, well, what do you do with all the passages in the New Testament that mention and address speaking in other tongues? I mean, the book of Acts brings it up multiple times and the apostle Paul wrote quite a lot about speaking in tongues. So I don't think it's enough to just kind of go, well, that was for them and not for us. That, that, that's kind of just uh, waving it off all too easily. We can't just pretend like it's not there. And one of my aims today is to help you not want to just wave it off because speaking in tongues provides assurance in our lives of God's prophetic work through us. Speaking in tongues is a prophetic experience through which the Holy Spirit assures us that God can speak through us prophetically to lost people. Now you might be hesitant even about the word prophetic and we'll talk about what I mean by that in a few moments, but what I wanna ask is, you know, why should you care about speaking in tongues? And I would say this, you should care because God wants to speak through you. You should care because God wants to speak through you. He's given his church a mission, a commission, and he said he wants to speak through us. So let's read what this doctrine says. It says, the baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them utterance. The speaking in tongues in this instance is the same in essence as the gift of tongues, but is different in purpose and use. God wants to speak through your life and through your lips. Did you realize that? God wants to speak through your life and through your lips. Maybe you've heard people say some things like this, even in reference to their Christian life or to their witness. Lead by example. Or sometimes Christians will even quote what they say is, um, I think they, they attribute the quote to Augustine. It's actually attributed to several people, and we know for a fact it wasn't said by any of the church fathers, but they attribute it to the church fathers because it lends some credence or some, some air of dignity to it. But it will say, uh, preach the word at all times, and when necessary, use words. You know, I would challenge you to find that in the New Testament. In what instance does the apostle Peter heal someone and then not follow it up with a sermon? In what instance did the Apostle Paul give anyone any money and say, oh, people will see Jesus through that? No, never is the answer. They never said, it's enough for us to just be nice. In fact, the world ascribes to niceness. It says, be kind, be nice to people. But no one is ever gonna come to Jesus because you were nice. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be nice. You should be. It doesn't mean that your life shouldn't reflect the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus. It certainly should. But no one is ever going to be able to discern because you helped them 
in some way that God sent his son Jesus, who was born of a virgin, that he grew up and obeyed God perfectly, that he died on the cross for their sins, that on the third day God raised him from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he sits at God's right hand, that he's coming soon to judge the living and the dead, and only those whose faith are in him will be saved. No one's gonna get, because you gave some money to a panhandler or you volunteered at the animal shelter, that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. No one will ever discern that. You know how they will? because your life demonstrates it, but your lips also speak it. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, I think is given so that we have an assurance as believers, God can actually use not just my life, but my lips. That I can't just be kind, I can also speak boldly for God, for Jesus, for the gospel. And so today I want to help you to see that. I hope that you will see it as we go through the word of God and consider some of the passages that address speaking in tongues and find out why it is the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that we learn about how God wants to speak through us is this, and I just alluded to it. You can have assurance that you've been baptized in the Spirit. You can have an assurance that God's Spirit has done this work in you. Jesus instructed his followers in Acts 1, 4 to 5. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He went on to tell them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses, yes, in your life, but also with your lips. And those are pretty big promises, aren't they? Especially for men that had recently abandoned and denied Jesus, that they're going to be his witnesses. How in the world are they going to be witnesses to the whole world? I mean, they couldn't just open a TikTok account, make up a Jesus dance, and go viral. That's not how it worked. And even if they had some of our modern communication tools available to them at the time, there was no guarantee they would be successful in witnessing for Christ to the ends of the earth. They needed power, spiritual power, supernatural power. And as we saw last week, that's the purpose of baptism in the Holy Spirit. But how would they know they'd received power? Jesus told them, wait. How are they going to know this has happened? Acts 2.4 says it was obvious. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Speaking in tongues was one of the signs. In fact, I would argue it was the primary sign. It was set apart and separate from, we often hear of the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind and the, uh, the, the flames, the tongues of fire that came and rested on them. But it notes and it divides specifically. It says those things happened, but then it says, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the result was they began to speak in other tongues. They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit and the result was flames of fire and mighty rushing wind. No, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and one of the results immediately was they began to speak in other tongues. And on that day, they spoke in languages that they didn't know as the Holy Spirit enabled them. They were speaking in human languages that they had never learned, but there were people present in Jerusalem who overheard them speaking and understood what they were saying. And then this sign continued to accompany baptism in the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit empowered God's people. But the day of Pentecost is the only instance in the biblical record which notes that the language that was spoken was recognized. At Acts 10.46 and Acts 19.6, there are other instances of people speaking in tongues. In Acts 10, Jewish believers were convinced 
that Gentiles had been baptized in the Spirit because they heard them speaking in tongues. Acts 10, 45 to 46 says, and the believers from among the circumcised, or the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Acts 19, 6 tells us that believers in Ephesus spoke in tongues when they received baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And in addition, Acts 8, 17 to 18 implies that the Samaritans spoke in tongues. Otherwise, how would Simon, who was observing this take place, how would he have known that they were baptized in the Spirit? It says this, Then they, the apostles, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money to be able to do the same kind of thing. How did he know unless there was some external sign? And the, the one that we find in the book of Acts consistently is speaking in tongues. And Paul goes on to talk more about speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he wrote, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So apparently, his baptism in the Spirit was accompanied as well by speaking in tongues. And from all of this, it seems that the early church expected that when a person was baptized in the Spirit, that they would speak in other tongues. That is, that the Holy Spirit would enable them to speak in a language, whether a human language or a spiritual language, that they had never learned. And while the language was recognized on the day of Pentecost, and I've heard many testimonies of, of people speaking in tongues, and it was recognized by someone who overheard that doesn't seem to have been the norm or, or the basic purpose of speaking in tongues. Instead, speaking in tongues was in part a sign that believers had indeed been baptized, that they had sought and the Lord had fulfilled his promise. I think it could be very frustrating for us if God said we should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, wait for power from on high, but there was no way for us to tell when it happened. In fact, I've spoken to people who claim that they don't believe that speaking in tongues is necessary evidence that they have been baptized in the Spirit, but then they're uncertain about whether they have been baptized or what they should expect when they're baptized in the Spirit. They have to rely on a feeling rather than on sign or an evidence. Jesus told the apostles that they should wait until they were empowered from heaven and they needed some assurance that that had happened or they would have been waiting forever. And speaking in tongues was the sign or the assurance that they were baptized in the Spirit. When you're praying for baptism in the Holy Spirit and waiting on it, it's good to have some assurance that that has occurred. And speaking in tongues is not only assurance of that, there are also other things that accompany it, like boldness or strength and passion for the Lord. But the Bible indicates that speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit that God wants to speak through you. And speaking in tongues is that assurance that you've been baptized, but speaking in tongues also does something else. It confirms that you can be a bold witness. If we look at the day of Pentecost as our example of this, I think we can see that the primary reason for speaking in tongues is the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit gave a sort of boldness or certainty to those who were there that day. When the crowd overheard Peter and the other believers speaking in tongues and they recognized the language that they were speaking, note that Peter, in order to address the crowd, did not continue to speak in tongues. 
Instead, he began to preach with clarity and boldness in their common language of the day in Aramaic, which is what most Jews spoke at the time. He preached with such boldness and such effectiveness in Aramaic, his language, that 3,000 people were saved and baptized that day. Now get this, likely Peter was preaching in the temple courts, which means that he was on the home turf of people that he had previously been so afraid of that he had denied Jesus. He was probably there in the temple courts. This was an area controlled by the chief priests and the elders of Israel. This is the group of men who had Jesus killed. Peter had been so afraid that he denied even knowing Jesus on the outskirts of the temple, where, or on the outskirts of the um, high priest's home when Jesus was being tried. But now, on the day of Pentecost, after Peter has received baptism in the Holy Spirit, he probably is standing, it's likely the location where his sermon took place, big enough for 3,000 people to gather, was the temple courts of Jerusalem, standing in a place controlled by the men he had been so afraid of, and yet on that day, not only does he preach the gospel, but he points out, probably pointing to them as they stood about and listened, that you killed Jesus. And so he is filled with such boldness. This is what the Holy Spirit has done. I think that's the basic purpose of speaking in tongues as the initial physical evidence. Uh, Evangelist Tim uh, Inlow, he describes it like this. If you can trust God to order your words in the spiritual language, how much more can you trust him to order your words in your own language to unbelievers? Spirit baptism is about saying the right things, first the God-inspired tongues, but also in our own languages as we prophetically minister God's words from God's heart. Did you realize, believer, that God wants to use you to minister his words to others? That's the purpose of speaking in tongues. That's the basic purpose of why God gives this evidence and this sign, to assure us that he can speak through us and that he wants to. That's even what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He quoted from the prophet Joel, who described a revival and an outpouring of God's spirit that would enable all God's people, he says, to prophesy. He said in Acts 2, 17 to 18, quoting the prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be declares, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter took the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and especially the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues as the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy that all God's people would prophesy. In other words, it was proof that God was pouring out his prophetic spirit, his spirit that empowers us to speak boldly as witnesses for God. Now you might think, I'm not a prophet. God hasn't called me. That's not for me, so this isn't for me. And while it may be true that you don't tell the future or give secret messages to people or feel compelled to share strange things with others one-on-one, that's not the only sense in which the Bible uses the word prophecy. Sometimes the word is used to simply describe boldly proclaiming God's truth in power, effective witness for God. And that's what God wants you to do, and he baptizes believers in the Holy Spirit to enable them to do that. Speaking in tongues is an assurance that God can use you to speak boldly for him. And hopefully, putting it like that helps it to make sense. Speaking in tongues is not the purpose of baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it gives an assurance that God is working in you to fulfill his purpose. 
being a witness for Jesus. Maybe at times in your life, even in your Christian walk, you felt ineffective. You felt like, man, I, I don't know how to speak for God. Maybe you've, you've wanted to. Maybe you've tried, but you've just felt like, I don't know that I'm being effective at this. And, and maybe you've grown, um, you've grown cautious and careful about speaking for God. You, you've wondered, is it really God speaking through me? Is God really able to use my words? Is he really wanting to use me? And I would just encourage you with this, that the purpose of baptism in the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues is to give you an assurance that God can speak through you. He can use your lips, he can use your words to minister to people. If you can trust him to do it in a language you don't know, then surely you can trust him to do it in a language that you do know. And if you've ever felt ineffective in speaking for Christ, you've wanted to be able to be a witness for Jesus, but maybe you felt intimidated or unable, then the initial physical evidence in the Holy, of, of baptism in the Spirit or of speaking in tongues shouldn't scare you. It shouldn't intimidate you. It ought to excite us that it's an assurance to our lives and hearts that God can use us, that he wants to use us, that he wants to use us to tell others about his salvation. Jesus commissioned his church to be witnesses for him. That means you and it means me. It means he called you to be a witness and he called me to be a witness for him, to tell others about what he has done, to tell them that God sent his son, that he saves us, that he delivers us. He's called you and he's called me to share with them the story of how God has changed our lives through our faith in Jesus, how his presence has changed us. He's called you to share your testimony. That's what being a witness is, isn't it? It is testifying to what God has done, both the facts of what God did when he sent his son Jesus and also the facts of what he did when Jesus entered your life and you surrendered your life to him. He has called you to be that witness for him, but that intimidates a lot of people. What will strengthen you? What can empower you? What can enable you? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're afraid, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I ruin everything with my words? Well, if God can speak through you in a language you don't know, then you can trust that as you witness to Jesus, as you witness about him to your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, that God is able to speak through you. That it doesn't all rest on you. It doesn't rest on you choosing the right words or having all the best knowledge or anything like that, but it rests on him enabling you. You can trust that still small voice, that prompting you sometimes feel, that nudge from the Holy Spirit, hey, tell this person, go speak to this person, let them know I love them, share with them the story of how you came to know me. You can trust that he is able to use your words to minister to their lives, and that's what the initial physical evidence of baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. God has given his church a promise. He will baptize his people in the Spirit, and the sign of that promise has come to help reassure us that God can speak boldly through us so that we can speak with confidence and we can leave the results to him. And in addition to the assurance and the boldness that speaking in tongues can give, there are several other benefits to speaking in tongues that the Bible reveals. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says that when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up spiritually. Jude 20-21 to states that when you pray in the Spirit, you build your faith. 
When you pray in tongues, we also know that you pray with confidence that you're agreeing with the perfect will of God. Romans 8, 27 says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you're praying in the Spirit, when you're praying in tongues, you can know you're praying as the Spirit directs and you're praying exactly according to God's purpose and plans. And when you pray in tongues, you practice submitting yourself. You practice particularly submitting your voice to the Holy Spirit so that you can be ready to submit your voice to him in moments where you need to be a witness for Jesus. I want to reemphasize to you that baptism in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues is not something for the, spiritual, uh, for the spiritually elite. It's not something for certain Christians, those who are a little bit more passionate or fanatical, or it's not for those that are a little bit on the strange side. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that is given for all believers. All believers should desire it and ask God to receive it. Sometimes people don't ask God for the gift of the Spirit or don't even want to talk about it because they say they've seen it abused. They've heard people claiming to speak for God and it turns out they weren't. I sympathize with that. I don't like that any more than you do. And there are a lot of people who do that. But if that's your reason, then I'm gonna need you to go home and throw out your TV, your computer, and you may as well just smash your cell phone right now. You can just step on it really hard because people use those devices and abuse them for the wrong things all the time. They do it all the time. In fact, I, would, I, would, I think I could argue very easily without much pushback that much more wrong has been done in the world through the abuse of those things than the abuse of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so you ought to get rid of those things. If that's your reasoning, please do away with all of those devices. But you don't, do you? You keep them. Why? Hopefully because you're using them the correct way. Hopefully you're not using them to access pornography or to uh, do shady, underhanded things, right? You're using them for good things, hopefully. You're not abusing them. Well, I would just encourage you with baptism of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't do something uh, very contrary to what you believe about other things and throw the baby out with the bathwater. That you'd say, others have abused it, so I want nothing to do with it. But instead, you'd say, where others have abused it, I believe that I can submit my heart as the Holy Spirit directs, and we can see the Lord pour out his Spirit in a way that is not only effective, but it is appropriate according to God's word. And so don't allow that excuse, people have abused it, to keep you from seeking baptism of the Holy Spirit. People abuse all kinds of things that you have in your home and that you keep in your life. Don't let your excuses keep you from something God wants to do in your life. God can use it in the way he intended in you. Sometimes people don't seek the gift of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because they think that their personality doesn't line up with it. They, they think that maybe this is for people who like to crowd around altars and wail out loud or draw attention to themselves or shout in church services, and that's just not you. Maybe you're a quiet person. You like to be behind the scenes. But I want to tell you that the gift is still for you. Many people have been baptized in the Spirit in small, quiet prayer meetings. That was my testimony. I was praying by myself at a very, like, five people kind of prayer meeting by myself. I've been I'd been prayed over multiple times in, in the big hullabaloo's that sometimes happen around altar calls where there is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it just it overwhelmed me because 
I'm kind of a quiet person, usually. And so that was overwhelming to me, but God baptized me in the Spirit in a quiet place. Maybe he baptized you in a loud, exciting way. Praise God for that. But if you're one of those who says, I'm just kind of behind the scenes, guess what? God has baptized people in the Spirit in the seats where they're sitting. He's baptized people in the Spirit in their cars as they drove home. He's baptized people in the Holy Spirit in their homes as they sought him in prayer. He's baptized people in the Holy Spirit all over the place. Again, I'm gonna refer to Tim Inlow who says, I believe we've over-romanticized the reception process so much that many ordinary folks exclude themselves from receiving. It's not nuclear physics, it's simple obedience. If you are firmly convinced that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, then wherever he is, it can happen, and he's omnipresent. You might be afraid of a bunch of hoopla or you might be concerned that you're gonna be embarrassed and that you're gonna respond and you won't feel comfortable with how things are going or with what other people are saying. Maybe you're, you're afraid that you'll respond and you won't be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so you're, you're afraid that you're gonna be embarrassed by that, but don't be. People seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit and wait on him to be filled all the time. The apostles waited to be filled. I waited to be filled. Many others have as well. I don't know why God's timing works the way it does all the time. Some people are baptized in the Spirit the moment they come up out of the water of baptism. Some people are baptized in the Spirit almost immediately upon salvation. Others wait and seek the Lord. I don't know why God's timing works the way it does all the time. Sometimes I think it has to do just with our simple surrender and faith. And I'd just encourage you, don't walk out on simple surrender and faith because you're afraid or embarrassed because God is not in the business of embarrassing you. He wants to fill you. That's his promise, and he says he will do it. So then we get to this part, and I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll go ahead and make their way up. How do you receive baptism in the Spirit with this initial evidence? Well, first of all, I'd say this. What you're seeking is not to speak in tongues. You're seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. You're seeking that the Holy Spirit would fill you. You're asking Jesus, baptize me in the Spirit. And I don't want to be formulaic with this. I don't think there's just a simple one, two, three step process. But that said, I do think that there are some things that can be helpful and have been helpful to people in receiving baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the first step is initiated by you. You exercise the faith that God has given you. And often the best way to exercise that faith is just by beginning to worship Jesus. He's the baptizer. And the Holy Spirit's goal, we're told explicitly by Jesus, is that he wants to exalt Jesus, the Son of God. And if his purpose, if the purpose of baptism in the Holy Spirit is indeed to help you be a witness to Jesus, then it would make a lot of sense that he'll often baptize people who are seeking to exalt Jesus in their lives. And so what often helps people to express their faith and to begin to seek this baptism in the Holy Spirit is just simply to begin to worship Jesus. As they're asking, Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit, to begin to lift up the name of Jesus and, and, and worship Jesus for all that he's done, for his goodness and his grace and his mercy, for the way that he's been present, for his comfort, for his salvation, for his forgiveness, and to just begin to worship Jesus, to fix your eyes on him and turn your attention, to draw near to him because as you do that, the Holy Spirit comes near because that's his goal as well. He wants to lift up the name of Jesus. And the second step is something that you don't have anything to do with at all. You can't force it. You can't pressure it. This is all God. This is all the Holy Spirit. But as you begin to seek the Lord and you begin to express your desire, then Jesus baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. To put it another way, he fills you with the Spirit. You can't control that. You can't force his hand. You simply ask you seek 
and then you worship and expect to receive. And the final step is a cooperative effort between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will prompt you to speak and you give uh, the utterance to it. Or excuse me, he gives you the ability to speak, but you use your tongue. He doesn't come in and begin to wag your tongue and make you say something, but he's going to give you the prompting or, or the, the beginning of this. He's going to enable you to begin to speak, but you have to cooperate with what he wants to do. And he's going to help you to speak in a new language as you surrender to him. And I want to remind you again that speaking in tongues is not the purpose of baptism in the Spirit. But the purpose is power to be a witness for Christ. Speaking in tongues is a sign of spirit baptism and it reinforces the work of the Spirit in our lives. It gives us an assurance that we've received this work and that God can enable us to witness for Him. And God wants to use you to speak for Him. That's true for all believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him, God wants to use you to speak on his behalf. Even if you felt timid or intimidated, God wants to use you wherever you are, whatever you're, you're doing, whatever you feel about this in your spiritual walk. If you have believed in Jesus, you're a candidate to receive this gift because God wants to speak through you. More than that, God the Father promised to give this gift to those who would simply ask him. We've experienced the mercy and the goodness of God. He's changed us through his son, Jesus. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. We have eternal life with Christ, and we have freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And God has given us the task of telling others what he's done in us. He's given us the task, and he wants us to have the privilege of sharing him with other people. And if you are in the position where you've lacked the power to do that, where you have convinced yourself that you're too intimidated, you're too afraid, you're too shy, that that's somebody else's gift, that that's somebody else's ability, that, that that's not you, then what I want you to hear loud and clear this morning as I repeat it again is that God wants to speak through you. And the way he wants to assure you that he can do that is through baptism in the Holy Spirit and the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so this morning, we've left a significant amount of time from our usual service time to respond because we want to give you the opportunity to respond. And the first response is general. It's a big response. It's for you whether you have already been baptized in the Spirit or you have not yet been baptized in the Spirit. The first response is very simple. And I'm going to even ask if our pastors and, and uh, our deacons and deaconesses, if they go ahead and make their way forward to prepare to just pray with people this morning. But if, if you're already a believer in Jesus, the, the first response is for anybody who would simply say, I want more power to be a witness for Jesus. I need a greater assurance, even if I've already been baptized in the Spirit, I need a greater assurance that God can speak through me. We've seen in the book of Acts that God does it more than once in the life of a believer. That in Acts chapter 4, God poured out His Spirit on the apostles again, assuring them they could speak for Him, enabling them to do it in power and in authority. And so it's not just a one and done thing. We as a church want to seek for God's continued renewed presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if you are saying, I want the assurance again that God can speak through me. I want to be filled with the Spirit for today and for tomorrow to be assured God can use me. He can speak through me. I need a renewed sense of His work and of His presence in my life. And I want to seek Him for that today. If that's you, would you just stand up wherever you're at all over this place? If, 
whether you've been baptized in the Spirit previously or you haven't been, would you just stand and say, I want that assurance again. I want to know the renewed work of the Spirit that empowers me to be a witness for Christ and enables His work in my life. What I want you to begin to do right now is that you just begin to worship Jesus. You begin to lift up the name of Jesus and praise him and exalt him. Whether you're standing or you're sitting, you can do this, but that you would just lift up Jesus and and take that first step of saying, Lord, we bless your name. We love you. We want to exalt you. Our heart's desire is that you'd be made known, that others would know how great you are. We've seen how good you are, Jesus. We've experienced, I've experienced your goodness. Just begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Begin to exalt his name. Begin to call out to him and, and, and cry to him and and, and tell him how much you love him. Begin to lift his name up. And as you do, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to fill this place. He's going to fill your life again as you witness and, and as, you, as, you're, as you're worshiping the name of Jesus. So just begin to call out to him. Lord, we bless your name. We worship your name. We exalt you.